0: "'What is it, Lord?' he asked. The angel answered, "'Your prayers and gifts to the poor "'have come up as a memorial offering before God. "'Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, "'who is called Peter. "'He is staying with Simon the tenor, "'whose house is by the sea.' "'When the angel who spoke to him had gone, "'Cornelius called two of his servants "'and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants.' He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say and Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks Thanks very much for reading. If I can ask you to take out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10, um, because we've read 28 verses or so, but there's a whole big section in the middle that I'll also um, go to, and I'm sure it'll help you as we go through it. But let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your living word uh, that it has given us uh, the spiritual rebirth. And now we pray that you'll bring us to maturity, that you'll help us to know what you are doing and help us to see what you are doing and be excited to be part of that. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you might recognize this photo. Does anybody know who this is? If you do know, could you give out a shout? Moody good guess but no. That's right. It's Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor of a church now called Metrotop- Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Back then, in the 19th century, it was a mega church, church of 10,000 people. He was known for his gift of preaching. He was often called the prince of preachers. But how about do you know this person? Anybody know? His name, name is written there, Thomas L. Johnson. He was a man born into slavery in Virginia in a tobacco plantation. He was freed, and then he went to London to train at the College of Preachers that Spurgeon ran to become a missionary in Africa. But did you know that Johnson became Spurgeon's one of closest friends? They were so close that when Spurgeon died, when he took his last breath, ta- uh, ta- um, Johnson was right uh, there with him, this man who learned to read only after being freed, a black man in a world that was prejudiced against him. But when he came to London, uh, he recalls in this book, Meeting Spurgeon, and this is what he writes about that meeting. Thank God that there is a large class of Christians who really have had two birthdays, or as a writer has put it who have the degree of BA, of being born again. Mr. Spurgeon was of this class, a man of refined philanthropic life. He discerned with Peter, who said, Of the truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And with Paul he knew that God hath made of one blood of all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. I don't know if you picked it up, but Acts chapter 10 is about this. How God has made all of us, regardless of where you are from. God has made the entire family of, of, of God all around the world one in Christ Jesus. And how God has created the church to live out that unity. And that, how that unity comes about, that it comes through the message of Jesus. The, the, the Jesus who died and rose again from the dead. So the story of Acts chapter 10, well, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, Really, that extraordinary story of extraordinary calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God called Abraham, and he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make you into a blessing to all nations, all the nations of the earth, all people of the earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise. God chose Abraham through through him, Israel, and gave them God's laws. They were to live such extraordinary and different lives that the people all around them were supposed to see the greatness of Yahweh God, the differences of Yahweh God. The moral laws were supposed to mark them as holy. Food laws and circumcision laws were to mark them as distinct, different people, a chosen people, uh, God's people, Yahweh's. People. The tragedy was, as John Stott writes in his commentary on Acts, that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised Gentiles as dogs, and developed the tradition of keeping them apart. Well, our story of Acts 10 starts in Caesarea. Caesarea was the center of the Roman administration of that province. It was supposed to be the showcase of Roman culture. There was even a temple to Caesar in that place. Jews hated Caesarea. They didn't want to be there. They thought it was an unclean city. Cornelius is not just from there, right? He was a Gentile. He was a dog. Not only that, he was a a centurion. Captain in the Roman army, the occupiers, the enemy's army. But Cornelius, as we see in verse 2, was a devout and God-fearing person. He was a Gentile, most likely. This means that he was a person who took on the monotheism and the ethical standards of Jewish people, but didn't go all the way being circumcised and becoming a Jew. And Luke tells us that he was generous And he prayed to God regularly. In fact, it's actually in one of his regular prayer times he sees this vision of of a man coming and telling him to go to Joppa. God had plans to save this man. And through him, all the Gentiles to signal that the different age has come. And God also appears to Peter because that was his plan. And look at the vision that Peter uh, receives in verse 11. He saw the heavens opened, and something like a large sheet let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. A voice came and said, kill these and eat it. How would you feel uh, if somebody told you to eat lizards, snakes, penguins, eagles? I don't know what was on that sheet. But, you know, I have a hard time eating feng tzou. The phoenix, phoenix Even now, I would have said instinctively, "Yeah, I don't want that. But of course, there was a theological reason why Peter refused. No Jew was supposed to eat any of these things because they were unclean. They were impure. They were not supposed to eat these things. They were supposed to be marked as different people by this food law. But when Peter refuses, the voice calls out to him, do not call anything impure what God has made clean. And this happens three times. The vision, the refusal, and the voice. Don't call anything that I have made clean. I mean, impure anything that I've made clean. And it was just when Peter woke up from this vision, from this trance, and wondering, what does this mean? That Cornelius' man from uh, Caesarea comes knocking at his door. The next day when he arrived in Caesarea with a few uh, Jewish Christians, the next day he sees Cornelius, his family, and his close friends waiting to hear the good news of Jesus. And Peter finally understood what was going on. Verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our law. It's more accurately that it's taboo uh, for a Jew to associate with, with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And when Cornelius tells him about his vision, Peter speaks again in verse 34, I now realize how true it was. it is that God does not show favoritism. I don't know if you saw this in the very introduction. In King James Version, it's God um, is no respecter of persons. It's the verse that Johnson quoted about Spurgeon. God is no respecter of persons. You see, the promise made to Abraham is being fulfilled right there in Acts chapter 10. The outline in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is being fulfilled. The gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we got a preview of that in Acts chapter 2. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost, when people spoke in all kinds of different languages because the gospel is no longer confined to the Jews. It's for all people. We saw a little bit of that gospel going out in Acts chapter 8 when the gospel goes to the Samaritans. To Samaria, these half breeds, and they receive the gospel and they become part of God's people. And in Acts chapter 10, we, the Gentiles, are now included in God's plan. We are now part of God's people. You see how God thinks this is important. God sends Peter, the Peter who has the key to the kingdom of heaven. It's him who goes out and opens this gate and says, You are now welcome. He preaches this message to the Gentiles. Actually, it's God who confirms it, doesn't it? Doesn't he? When he pours out the Holy Spirit, as the as he preaches, the Holy Spirit comes upon these Gentiles. They receive the Spirit. And Peter says, You know, God has baptized them. How can I? stand in the way of baptizing them? How can I stand in the way of including them into the church, into the membership of God's people? Friends, the gospel is for the Gentiles too. All people are made clean through the blood of Jesus. And you might think, I know that. (laughs) But think about how important this moment was, how momentous it actually was. If I could put it this way, how many of you have any Jewish blood in you? Could you, would you mind raising your hand if you have any Jewish blood in you? I don't see anyone. All of us were outside of this being a part of God's people, but now all of us No matter where you're from, because of Jesus, because of faith in Jesus, you are now part of God's people. We are part of this kingdom of God, that God's building. And of course, this has a huge implication as to what the church is. I grew up in Arlington, Virginia right outside of Washington, D.C., where many people uh, worked for the government. I knew people you know, who worked for the State Department, CIA, or whatever, uh, whatever they worshiped at St. Andrew's Church, Arlington, Virginia. And because they love their country, I think at some point in their life, they put uh, the, the national flag, the American flag, inside of the church. Now, of course, it's good to love your own country, but putting a national flag in the church, I think, is a theological mistake. Because you see, uh, churches like St. Andrews or Tin, we call ourselves international churches. But every church is an international church. Even the local church with 100% membership uh, are, are Chinese. They're international church because they belong to the global kingdom of God. Because each one of us, no matter where you're from, you're a brother. You're a sister to every Christian around the world who worships Jesus today, who looks at the cross and says, that is where I was forgiven, That I, I, I was I reborn. If we put any flag in the church, I think we must put every flag from every country in the church because God's kingdom is not confined to one nation. God's message of the gospel has gone out to all nations. It's God's plan to unite all of us under the lordship of Jesus. There are 16 people in my official sort of WhatsApp uh, group. Um, my small uh, small group WhatsApp uh, group. There, 10 different nations are represented: uh, Nigeria, Hong Kong, Austria, Finland, America, Indonesia, Japan, India, France, and Korea. And the awesome thing about a church like St. Andrew's or Shatin is that we get to live this out. We get to show the world what God is doing. This is what God's doing. This you, all of you being here, you being united in love of Jesus and one another, that is what God is doing. God, through the gospel, through the spirit, has made us one in Christ Jesus but living our identity as one church, though, is really hard. It is really hard. And we must make every effort to express the unity. Yeah, a Nigerian member of my small group recently, just this past week, expressed how she thinks that her daughter faces racism, even in the church. It's one thing for her to be a target of racism, but it's heartbreaking for her to see a two and a half year old daughter being target of racism. And after all the talks of living as one global village, remember that in the 80s and 90s, this vision of all of us uh, being one? Well, uh, the the rhetoric of racism, rhetoric of nationalism, rhetoric of separation has been trending up. Prejudice is not easy to break. And that's why, in this story, it's not just Cornelius who gets converted. It's Peter who also gets converted. In fact, most of this ink in chapter 10 is spent in converting Peter to this new reality, converting the Jewish church to this new reality of accepting the Gentiles. Because the Jewish church, Peter, also needs to be converted to see the goodness of the gospel, to see what God is doing. And that's repeated. Again and again, you know, I, I, I told you I have a two and a half year old old daughter, and, and, and she went to kindergarten about a month ago for the first time. Unfortunately, I think it was her second day. She peed on her pants, and so the next day I really didn't want her to go through that again. So you know, when she woke up on that day, you know, I thought, "Oh, you know, uh, Corey, if you really want to go go to the bathroom, tell your teacher, tell your little It's okay, it's okay." And as I'm walking her towards the uh, kindergarten, I tell her again, and just as I'm about to drop. Or if I tell her again, don't you know, tell your teacher. Let's see if you want to go uh, to the bathroom. We repeat things that we really want people to get. And what we see here is repeated is how the church, how the Peter, needs, how Peter needs to be converted into this reality. God repeats things to Peter. And when the vision comes down and the voice says, "Eat this," what does Peter do? He says, "No." To God, <laughs> three times. And God repeats to him, verse 15, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this same vision, the vision what we read of what we read, this sheet coming down, you'll hear it one more time again next week in chapter 11 because it's recalled one more time as Peter goes to the Jerusalem church and defends his action. He tells the same story again. You see, Jerusalem church needs to be converted. We, the listeners, need to be converted. Because the church, um, verse 45, uh, God, in, uh, and, and it, if we look at verse 45, who's there? It's not just Peter who's there at this point. He, God in his sovereignty brought the, the words are circumcised Believers. Circumcised believers are there to witness the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles because they need to tell the church that Gentiles are now accepted. Overcoming racism, prejudice is difficult. So we need to tell ourselves again and again. God is telling us again and again. And I don't know if you've noticed the similarity between this story and the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah really starts in Joppa, that city where he gets on the ship and goes south, away. Because he doesn't want to go and tell Gentiles, the Ninevites, the good news of Jesus. And you know, the story of Jonah is not really a story of conversion of the Ninevites. Ninevites convert quickly. Who needs to be converted? It's Jonah. And for that reason, God sends the storm. For that reason, God sends the fish and God sends the, uh, the, 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 the tree and the hot wind that takes away and, and his word to tell Jonah that the gospel is for all people, that all people through God's grace become his in a similar way. Friends, this story is written for us, the church. Because God's healing of that fundamental divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, well, that should be the paradigm of healing of every division within the church. Some people say, build that wall. Within that church, there should be no walls. There should be no divisions. There should be unity in Christ Jesus. There is no room for anti-Semitism Racism, classicism, caste system, chauvinism, discrimination against Filipinos, mainland Chinese, Nepalese. God is no respecter of persons, and we should not be either. Paul put it this way: a letter to Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to, one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We're made one in Christ Jesus. So church, make every effort to realize that unity, and it's hard to do it. It's hard because sometimes we have prejudices, And sometimes we discriminate because there are real differences, right, between cultures. There are real differences in mannerisms or whatever, by education uh, or class or whatever it is. There are real differences, but that is not an excuse. Because we are told to love as Christ has loved us. Church, what kind of prejudice do you harbor in your hearts Who do you look down on? I often see this come out in marriages. You know, people who say, oh, I don't discriminate. There's There's nothing in me like this. But I want to marry only just this sort of people. Or if you're a parent, who do you not want your kids to marry, and why? Or take out your diaries. Who's in your diary? Who's in your diary? Who do you meet with? Who do you eat with? Who do you uh, invite uh, uh, to your homes? Is it a, does it reflect the diversity of this room, of the different kinds of people in this room? Because God has brought you all to be one church, to be one family in Christ. That's what God's doing at St. Andrews. Does your diary reflect the diversity of what God's doing here in this church? And could I challenge you? I mean, it's lunchtime soon. No matter who you're sitting next to, especially if you don't know them, especially if they are different from you, could I challenge you to take take them out for lunch? Go out to lunch together. Get to know them. And get to know people who are different from you, whoever they may be. Reflecting on the segregated South in the U.S., one theologian says it was good. That the white church marched during the civil rights movement of the '60s. It was good that people in influential uh, positions uh, changed, tried to change the law, the uh, law, uh, uh, the policy of segregation. But what if the church back then had examined its own practices first? What if the churches in the South had black and white Christians? sitting together, worshiping Jesus as their Lord, as brothers and sisters together? What if they said, yes, yes, I don't care what goes on out there. I don't care what the laws are out there in the world, but in the church, we sit under the law of Christ. And God does not show any favoritism. So I will love my brother and sister, whoever they may be, that comes to this church. What if they did that? The whole civil rights movement might not even have been necessary. Friends, that is what God's doing here. Will you realize that unity, that you, will you be part of what God's doing? Will you love without prejudice? That is what, uh, what the gospel unity is. But having said that, it is really difficult. And in order to make that happen, we need to go back to the gospel again and again and again. Because it's the gospel message that unites us. It's the gospel message that makes us new. It's the gospel message that breaks down our prejudices and makes us one. Because there are many attempts to unite humanity. Most of them take the form of Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Romans went around the world conquering villages, burning them, squashing dissent, and when there was silence, they called it peace. That's not the gospel. That is not the way of Jesus. Well, what unites us? Well, look what Peter preaches, what he says in verses 34 and on. What does he say? He talks about Jesus, how God sent his son. How he went around filled with the Spirit doing miracles. How that God, Son of God, died on the cross, verse 39. And how God raised him. Uh, um, and how he commanded his believers to preach this message the message of Jesus crucified to bring salvation to all people, bring unity uh, to all people. And one day he will come to judge the world, verse 43. But whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's the message of the gospel that he preaches. And thus far in the book of Acts, there are four sermons that Peter preached. And all of them are almost exactly the same. It's not that Peter only had one message to preach. It's not that Luke is lazy and he's just copy pasting um, in the book of Acts. They're making a theological point. It's this message that saves. It's this message to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. It's the same message that unites us as one in Christ Jesus. It's the death and the resurrection that unites us. It's that message that brings us salvation and forgiveness of sins. It's that message, as that message of Jesus goes out, that we are born again, that we receive that, that B.A., and it's that message that makes us a new kind of human being, a new species of human being. In, in Acts 11, if you look across 11.26, you'll see how those who believed in Jesus in Antioch, well, they become these people who believe in Jesus and they defy categorization. They're not called Greeks. They're not called Jews. There's something different. For the first time, they're called Christians. Christians. Christians, that's what we are as well. We are a one, united humanity. Well, by God sending his son, forgiving us of our prejudices and of our sins, when we were unworthy, undeserving, when God sent his uh, son to die for us and he breathed his new spirit in us and make us, uh, made us reborn, born again, we become, uh, we become Christians. Friends, if you trust in Jesus, that is your primary identity. Whether you're British, you don't stop being British or Aussie or Pakistani or whatever, Korean. But we say these things are much, much less important than being Christian because being a Christian is my primary and the most important identity and Paul says in Philippians, I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus as, as, as Christ, my Lord. That's who we are. Church, we are Christians. You're all made clean through the blood of Jesus. So will you love one another? No matter who they are next sitting next to you, No matter who they are, will you welcome them as brother and sister in Christ? Will you eat with them? Will you invite them to your home? Will you spend and invest your life uh, uh, with them? Will you love those who are different from you without prejudice? Will you look to the cross and say, that's where my prejudice died? Will you look to the empty cross and say, I was born again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gospel that has power of salvation for all those who believe in you. And we thank you that it gives us eternal life in Christ Jesus. It gives us the kingdom of God. It gives us power to become the kingdom of God. And we pray now that you would fill all of us with the power of your spirit. Lord, move us to see the cross on you. Move us to see our new identity in Christ Jesus. Move us to see that we're all made pure and clean through the blood of Jesus. And may St. Andrews, a church that's filled with love for one another that filled with that unity of the gospel and may be a display case for the world of the peace that you are bringing through your son jesus lord fill us with your spirit we pray amen